we failed to include the chapter, or where, where the book and chapter, <laughs> our mistake, um, but we're, we're going to be preaching from Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. The last month we've been looking at a ser- doing a series called Repent and Be Loved. It, it captures so much of what we as a church uh, long for people to embrace, to repent and be loved. And we've looked at what repentance is, how repentance isn't turning from our godlessness to being godly. Repentance is turning from our godlessness to God and dealing with him and letting him deal with us in his mercy and grace. And we've chosen four particular needs of all of our lives. These are, these are important needs that we have. The need for significance, the need for comfort, the need for control, and today we're gonna be looking at the need for acceptance. Sadly, though, we look for these needs in our own way and in our own manner, and it screws a lot of things up. It really does. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at really how we screw up that need to be accepted. On your, on, your, on, on your seats, excuse me, there are these little, you know, in between every chair, there's these little immersive experience, these little cards, and you can click on that QR code, and this is a way for you to ponder and to consider all that we've been talking about, for you to sit and study and to memorize so that you too can be equipped to, to understand what, what all we're trying to say. So I want to encourage you to think through that and prepare um, for this closing of this series. All right, with that being said, let me open up by reading the word of God. Luke chapter seven, verses 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster, alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head And kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, and I want you to see this. Then turning toward the woman, he then says to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to this woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want you to know this. I I am very insecure. 
deeply insecure. You might like look at me, and I'm not trying to like get in your head or anything like that, but you might look at me and be like, how is that guy insecure? I know my insecurity, but that guy doesn't strike me as someone who's insecure. I mean, he gets up and talks publicly all the time. How can you be insecure when you speak publicly all the time? Trust me, I am very insecure. I've been wrestling with insecurity for as long as I can remember. Some of the most early and most vivid moments of insecurity come in middle school. Do you remember these insecure moments? I started at a middle school that I didn't know anyone. Like middle school is already an insecure time as it is, but then when you get dropped into a new school in the midst of that insecure time, it is horrific. I mean horrific. I did things, and I don't mean this like laughing, I did things that I can still vividly remember today to try to deal with my insecurity that I think about in horror. Like, how could I have said that about that girl? How could I have done that to that person? I, I, I was so deeply insecure. But my insecurity continued. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a friend, or really not a friend, it's a foe that carried with me from middle school. I remember going into high school and longing to sit at the cool table with these guys who party on the weekend. And they're ninth graders, they party. But I was like, I, <laughs> I wanted to sit at their table and I would do whatever it took. And you know what I did? I became the soda guy. And I became enslaved to getting everyone at that table soda. It was a price that I was willing to pay just so that they could allow me to sit at the table. I will do whatever it takes to be accepted by these guys because I thought my acceptance by them would deal with the insecurity that I felt in that moment. I have been dealing with insecurity for as long as I can remember. How about you? Perhaps you remember the first time you walked the doors of these church and you didn't know anybody. My guess is that insecurity was wrapped around your spine. Will I be liked? Will I be accepted? What am I going to experience? I mean, my hope is that you, you feel warmly welcomed and enjoyed, but here's the thing. We all feel that insecurity. We all know what it's like. We are deeply insecure. And I think one of the reasons why we're insecure is because we were made to be accepted, but so often we feel the rejection of this world. We were all made to be loved, appreciated, and enjoyed, but we've all felt unloved, underappreciated, and disliked. This need to be accepted, this need to be loved is not good and not a bad thing. In fact, this is what we were made to be. This is who we are. We were made to be loved. We were made to be accepted. I don't think we were made to experience the insecurity. But the question is, we have this insecurity. And what do we do with, in, with this insecurity? What do you do with that insecurity? You know... I don't know what, what you do to deal with the insecurity, but, but some of us can deal with it in all sorts of different ways. If you are a Christian and you go out into the world, into the public world, some of you will bury what you hold most true to yourself for fear of what a non-Christian might think of you. And so you'll never bring up your faith. Other, thing, other of you will do, will, will do things that you vow you never do, but you're doing it so that you might meet that insecurity and try to satisfy it. Some of you will turn to drinks to find the courage to be accepted in cultural settings. At least then you might experience uh, less shame and th that voice of insecurity won't ring loud in your head. But here's the thing. 
Wouldn't you want to be free of that insecurity? Wouldn't you rather just be yourself rather than someone that you aren't? Wouldn't you rather just enjoy your drink rather than abusing your drink so that you might feel comfortable wherever you might be? I, I do. I want to be free. Now in Luke 7, I love this. Luke 7, I think we find the most free person in the Bible outside of Jesus. We find a woman who is so free that when we read it today, 2,000 years after the event took place, we are uncomfortable just thinking about it. <laughs> We're told that this woman was a, a, a woman of the city. She was a sinner. And you don't need much of an imagination to figure out what a woman of the city is. But yet, here she is in the presence of a dinner party she wasn't invited to, and she's coming to the feet of Jesus. And she's so overwhelmed with emotion, sitting, sit, standing behind Jesus, that she begins to cry. And the tears from her face fall on Jesus' feet so profoundly that she feels the need to get down on her knees, to unfurl her hair, and to wipe, wipe his feet with her hair. She's sweeping. She's a mess. You, can you just see this? But then she does what's even more profound, what's even more awkward. She begins to kiss Jesus' feet. I've been a part of foot washing ceremonies that are very strange, where people are touching your feet and washing them, but she is kissing his feet. You want to talk about awkward, socially, just not. But this woman is not thinking anything about what Jesus thinks of her. She's not thinking about what anyone in this room is thinking of her. She is completely free. But then she does something even more profound. She takes what is likely her most valuable possession and then begins to pour it on Jesus' feet. It's the alabaster flask, largely, probably a family heirloom, and she pours it all over Jesus' feet, anointing them. Nothing is holding this woman back. Not her reputation. She cares not what the religious person in the room thinks. Not her possession. She cares not about her precious ointment. She just acts freely. She is not held, bound, held down by her insecurity. Where does she find this freedom? How does she not act according to her insecurity? This is the question we're gonna explore today. And I think there's two simple reasons she acts so freely, just two. And this is the key to living freely in this world not according to our insecurity, but to something else. The first thing that I want you to see, the thing that drives her, is that she acts freely because of her faith. First, she acts free because of her faith. She has freedom because she trusts in Jesus. Indeed, there was really only one person in the room that this woman was concerned about, and that was what Jesus thought of her. She looked to Jesus for her life and hope rather than Simon the Pharisee. Jesus saw this, and when this, this, which is why in the story he's coming to a close, he looks at her, and do you see this? Last verse, what does he say to her? Your faith has saved you. And then what's the last word he says? Go in peace. You're not ruled by your insecurity. You're ruled by your faith, and your faith has saved you. She didn't look to herself or to others to find the freedom. She looked to Jesus 
And in that, she found the freedom that we all long for. She found freedom from her faith. Now, she looked to Jesus because in the world of ungrace, in a world of great law, of dutiful, being a certain way, she found grace, mercy, and compassion from Jesus. And in this story alone, we see three unique ways that Jesus gives this woman grace and mercy and compassion rather than what the world gives, which is law and judgment and acceptance based on what you do. Look at what Jesus does. First, he welcomes her. Unlike the world who requires constant upholding standards that are ever-changing, Jesus graciously welcomes her, and this woman is simply a mess. She's a mess, and yet Jesus welcomes her. Consider her again. She has untied her hair and then let it down. You must understand that letting your hair down in this culture is a significant no-no. All you have to do is consider Islamic cultures where they ask women to constantly cover their hair. Their hair is meant for their husband. It's a similar culture in this day that, that those we see in Islamic culture today. And yet her hair is down and her hair is all over Jesus' feet. A kind person would expect to gently correct this woman at the very sight of her hair coming down, of her weeping. Hey, why don't you just stand up, stand up. We, we envision Jesus doing that, but he does none of that. No, he welcomes her messy, culturally unsound affection and love. He welcomes her. Do you see how kind and gracious this is? Do you see that Jesus is willing to be associated with a woman of the city in an intimate way? How profound and gracious this love is? He was even willing to lose his reputation with a Pharisee, a man of great reputation with him that he might be seen in the same light as her. He welcomes her. Jesus doesn't just welcome her, though, does he? The second thing that we see Jesus doing is he's defending her. Jesus defends her with the host of, his, uh, with the host of this meal. Recall, the host, Simon, sees this whole affair unfolding, and what, he do, what does he do? He wonders to himself what we always do with people that are doing messy and culturally unsound thing. He does the same thing. If this man were a prophet, he would know what sort of woman who's touching him. She's a sinner. Simon is judging her, and Jesus, I think, is wisely aware of this, and I don't even think this is like a godlike thing. I think he just knows Religious man, irreligious woman. Irreligious woman doing messy things, honoring me. This religious person's gonna be certainly thinking, how dare he? How crazy. But then Jesus looks at Simon. He says, Simon, I got something to say to you. And then he tells him this story. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answers, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said, you're judged rightly. Perhaps you missed it. But there's a subtle lesson that Jesus gives Simon. And it is a defense to this woman who has entrusted herself to Jesus. He's telling Simon, she is loving me more than you. And you have placed this meal before me. You have welcomed me into this house. But she is loving me more than what you are doing. She is taking a risk more than you in having me in your home. Can you imagine what this woman's thinking? 
I'm expecting to be rebuked. And now Jesus is rebuking the host of this meal. He's defending her, not him. He's giving her grace. This messy, this, this culturally unsound woman is being defended by Jesus. He's giving her grace. But he doesn't just welcome and defend her. He actually honors her. Jesus honors her. After defending the woman, Jesus turns to her. Remember I said he turns to her, but then who does he talk to? He talks to Simon. And he's like, Simon, I'm going to teach you something. Look at her in the face, just like I'm looking at her. I want you to do this. Do you see this woman? And he's forcing her to, to see her for who she is. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my hair with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Unlike Simon, Jesus doesn't see what Simon sees, a woman, a sort of woman of this city. He sees an honorable woman. By looking at her, and championing her before Simon's ears, Jesus is honoring her like she's probably never been honored before. He's elevating her to a higher place than Simon himself. Indeed, this is crazy. Jesus himself is the guest in the house. It's Simon's house after all. And yet Jesus is the one criticizing Simon and honoring the woman. We might look at this situation, guys, and think this woman is a nut job. This woman is breaking every social rule that there is, yet Jesus doesn't crush her. Jesus doesn't shame her. Jesus welcomes her, defends her, honors her. And because of that, she loves much. She acts freely. She is free because of her faith. In placing her faith in Jesus, trusting him, she finds grace and mercy and compassion. And this, my friends, is not what the middle schools and the high schools and the colleges and the businesses and the neighborhoods that we, we live. This is not what they do. There's a standard that we have to uphold. There's dress we have to abide by. But Jesus does not hold us to these standards. He welcomes us when we come to him, weeping, full of our mess. He defends us. When we come weeping at his feet, he honors us, not because we look a certain way, but because we simply come to him. This is hard in our world. Indeed, our wor you realize that our world is full of legalism? So many people think that the church is a place full of legalism. No, 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 no. The church is, there's legalism. I don't want you to, like, there can be that. But the church is the only place where there is grace, guys. The other day I was talking to a friend about when he was moving from his elementary school to his middle school, and it was in a different context, in a different place, and he described to me, it wasn't bad of a transition, but there was one thing that was glaringly obvious in the move, what the boys wore. And he said, where I was from, they wore, we wore athletic shorts and t-shirts, but in this new place, they wore khakis and polos and Timberlands. And I quickly realized, I gotta, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta fit in. So he wore khakis. Mom, I need some Timberlands, khakis, and polos. And so he did. 
understandably. I get it. I've done the same thing. But here's the thing. If we have the grace of Jesus, if we know his welcome, his defense, and his honoring, it don't matter what we wear. We can wear our athletic shorts and t-shirts because we have the acceptance of Jesus. My friends, what keeps you from letting your hair down? What is it that keeps you from letting your hair down? Is it the concern of others' opinions about you? Are you concerned with being rejected by someone you respect and honor? Are you afraid of losing your job? Are you afraid of even losing the favor of God and letting your hair down? Consider not these things. Consider not the influence of man nor the fear of losing their opinion about you. Let your hair down with Jesus because he is full of grace and mercy and compassion. Let your hair down. Make mistakes. Make a fool out of yourselves for the sake of Christ. Challenge your non-Christian friends on the inconsistencies of their beliefs. Make a fool out of yourselves when you're at the park inviting someone you just met to church. Let your hair down. Jesus welcomes your messiness. Jesus welcomes your trust and your, your just put together. This is all I got. He welcomes it and he honors it and he's willing to defend you. Let your hair down. Down. This woman acts freely because she trusts that Jesus does these things. And he does. And she lets her hair down. She lives freely because of her faith. But there's a second re reason she lives so freely. She lives freely because she's forgiven. Not only because of her faith, who Jesus is, but she's been forgiven Look, this week I had the privilege of spending a good bit of time with a well-respected and seasoned minister from Athens, Georgia. He's like 68 years old. In fact, the, the day before we were talking, he had just um, resigned from his position. It was time for him to go. And I was like, what? And we had a great time. And during one of our extended times together, I looked at him and I said, hey, I actually quote you in our membership class. He said, well, is that right? He said, I was like, yeah. He said, what quote? <laughs> and I said, I said, it's this quote, if you were deceived, would you know it? He's like, oh, it's a great quote, but it's not mine. It's like, what? He said, yeah, it's Joe Novenson. I was like, ah, oh. it's either Joe Novenson's or Tim Keller's in our, in our churches. That's typically what it is. And he goes, and he looks at me and he goes, but I've got a quote for you, and it's mine. And it's copyrighted. I don't know if it's copyrighted. But he said, it is mine. And this is what he said to me. Everyone is either struggling to be free or they're free to struggle. Say that again. Everyone is struggling to be free or they're free to struggle. I like that. And I believe the woman in Luke 7 embraced the freedom to struggle not only because of her faith, but because she had been forgiven. Consider again the lesson that Jesus tells Simon after he began to judge the woman. At the conclusion of this story, he says to him, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. She already loved Jesus much with the, with the pouring out of her tears on Jesus, the wiping of his feet with her hair, the pouring out of the anointing, and the kissing of his feet. She's loving Jesus. Why? Because she has been forgiven. And he concludes it, but he who is forgiven little loves little. The heart, 
and the root of her free display of love, this woman of the city, was rooted in the forgiveness that she had received from Jesus. She was free because she was forgiven. If there's one thing this woman knew, I mean, if we got inside her mind, if there's one thing she knew, it would be this. I am a sinner. How many times do you think she heard from people like Simon what he thought in his head? (laughs) What sort of woman is this? How many times do you think she probably heard that, being a woman of the city? How many times do you think when she walked down the street, people would just kind of move away from her? If there's one thing she knew is that she was a sinner. She was dirty, unwelcomed, unlovable. She thought these things. She thought she was small, insignificant, and unworthy, even at Jesus' feet, yet she cried. And she's weeping because she knows that Jesus has for her forgiveness. Indeed, Jesus doesn't judge her the way Simon does, nor does he ignore the fact that she is, in fact, a sinner. To, to, To ignore the fact that she's a sinner is actually to deny the truth of who she is. It's still true of her that she's a sinner. We don't just say, oh, no, you're so good. You know, you're good. No, Jesus still receives her. And the reason we know this, why? He has forgiven her. We have grace and mercy here again amidst a judgmental and harsh world. Forgiveness. Jesus forgives. And this is significant for two primary reasons. Two reasons why this is significant that Jesus forgives. First, it assumes that Jesus has the authority to forgive. To forgive, here's the thing, to forgive implies that you are the one that has been wronged. So if you came up to me and asked forgiveness for something you did to to your neighbor, I tell you, look, you don't need my forgiveness. You need their forgiveness. Go to them. I don't have the authority to forgive your sins. You didn't wrong me. You wronged them. So when Jesus tells her that he forgives her, the implication is that he is the one who's been wronged. Of course, it was offensive to the people in that room who said, who is this that forgives sins? This is literally what enters their mind. But the implication of this is this. Jesus is God. That he is the one that her actions have wronged. That she has sinned against him. He doesn't ignore it. He acknowledges it. And he forgives her nevertheless. This brings out the second invocation of forgiveness that we must see if we are going to be freed from our insecurity and fighting for that insecurity through our acceptance of others. Secondly, he has the payment to forgive. Look, forgiveness is very specific. It has a very defined definition. And here's the definition in a a kind of uh, picture way. If you were to walk into my house and for some reason you got mad and you swiped the lamp on my back, uh, on the back of our couch and you knocked it over and broke it. And then you would say, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, please let let me pay for it. I'm so sorry. And I would say, I forgive you, but I expect you to pay it. That, my friends, is not forgiveness. Forgiveness is if you were to walk into my house Break the lamp, and I were to say to you, I forgive you, and I'm gonna pay for the lamp as well. It's saying it and paying it. 
Saying it and paying it is forgiveness. Forgiveness is having someone else pay for something that you did. Forgiveness is having someone else pay for something that you did. So in extending forgiveness to this woman, Jesus is agreeing to pay for something that she did. He said, I'm gonna pay for your wrongs. And of course, if you are a Christian, if you've been in the church for a long time, you know that our Jesus does this very thing for her. Because in a little while after this event, Jesus, the one who has done nothing wrong, gets hung on a cross, and he pays for her sin and our sin. Our sin requires death, the payment of blood. And Jesus shed his blood as a payment for her and for you and I. She's forgiven through the payment of Jesus' blood. So this woman approaches Jesus the one who is God, and she does it with boldness and freedom. And boy, does she make a mess. But she makes a mess of this entire scene because she's understood that Jesus has the authority and Jesus is the one who will pay for her sin. And it is this that enables her to be near him. Look, so many of us are struggling to be free because we believe we have to pay it off to be near Jesus. But look to Jesus, my friends. He has the authority to forgive sins. He is God himself. When you have sinned, you have sinned against him. But not only does he have the authority to forgive sins, he has the scars to prove that he does forgive sins. If you feel like you can't be in the presence of Jesus because you have wronged him, go to him. He is full of mercy and grace. He forgives sins. Many of you, though, believe that. Many believe it, but you struggle to be free. You struggle to trust him, and you struggle to receive his forgiveness. And you continue to struggle with, your, with being free. You're, 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 you're like, I'm struggling to be free. I'm not free to struggle. My friends, take the advice of this man that I met with. You are free to struggle. Jesus forgives. He has forgiven, he will forgive, and he'll continue to forgive. You are free to struggle. Recall the mistakes you've made in the past and consider them no longer held against you. Consider not the failures of your life to be the defining moments of who you are. Jesus is the defining moment of who, who you are. Jesus has paid for your sin through his blood. He has forgiven you. He has paid the debt. And because he has paid the debt, you are free. So go be free. Be free and make mistakes. Be free and make a mess with your love. Be free and laugh and sing and dance. Be free and worship God with your heart abandoned. Be free to worship the one who's forgiven you. We are free to struggle because we've been forgiven. This woman understood her forgiveness and she was free. How about you? Let this day be the day. Let this day be the day where the forgiveness of Jesus sinks down from your mind into your heart so that you might be free. 
be freed from the insecurity that haunts all of us so that you don't have to long for the acceptance of one another, that you already have the acceptance of Jesus who welcomes, defends, honors, and forgives. My friends, do that today. Look, this whole series has been about repenting and being loved. Repent, turn from your godlessness, and turn to God. Let him be the one that deals with your mess. And be loved. Receive from him his mercy and his grace. What is holding you back from his mercy and grace? Turn from your godlessness. It's wearing you out. It is wearing you out. And turn to God. Find the freedom that comes from his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we give thanks to you for your mercy and grace. We live in a world full of law. We live in a world that every mistake that we, can, we make can be held against us, that we can, we can live for 10 years with a mistake that we've forgotten, but that mistake gets brought to, to the world's attention, and we can lose our job in but a moment. We live in a very strong lawful world not not much grace and i indeed it can make us very insecure very insecure but because of your grace because of your mercy a mercy that is extended to us a mercy that is seen through the payment of our sin through your blood oh we can live freely oh let us live in this freedom let us worship you with our hearts unfettered by the ways of this world let us come to you, be loved by you, that we might love others as you loved us. Amen.